Take your Bibles and join me tonight and turn to the book of Matthew is where we'll be, the book of Matthew tonight, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I enjoyed the opportunity to preach this morning in the Christian school and uh, it was great to uh, have the ladies group that was meeting together this morning. Uh, They came in uh, in chapel and uh, you know what, that was the best behaved group right there was that ladies group. And uh, they, it was a blessing to see them there, and uh, it was a great opportunity to preach to the young people. I know with uh, everything that's taking place, they had to be scattered out uh, really all over the auditorium. But uh, just as I looked across it this morning, I'm so grateful for the ministry that, that God has given you all uh, here in the Christian school. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be a shining light. <clears throat> you know, for some of the kids that come, Uh, really the greatest glimpses they're going to get of Jesus is when they're on this campus. And uh, sometimes that's hard for us to uh, realize, especially if you're here and you've been raised in a Christian home. But uh, I'll tell you, I think to some kids it's a real lifeline. And then for those that are raised in Christian homes, it reinforces uh, what they're given at home. And uh, so anyway, it's just a great blessing to be able to minister to them this morning. I'm grateful for Brother Stringer's message. It just goes to show you the accuracy of the Bible. Uh, I encourage you in messages like that, put that in your file cabinet. Uh, Sometimes you come across somebody and they're like, the Bible's filled with contradictions. And usually about eight times out of ten, the way you fix that is say, all right, tell me one. And then they're usually like, uh, 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 you know, but there are some. Uh, that will point to apparent contradictions and things like that. And for every time they point uh, to one of those, which is not a contradiction, but it's one that is uh, maybe of smoke and mirrors, you can point to instances like you've heard tonight of Cyrus and uh, with the precision. You know, it's amazing to me. You know, the cross of Calvary uh, was prophesied 700 years in great detail in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, made His death with the wicked. Those were very specific prophetical uh, utterances that were answered to a T in the Gospels with the death of Christ. And we hear about Cyrus tonight, 200 years uh, before His coming. It's just a great uh, blessing to me. You don't preach messages like that by just sleeping with the Bible under your pillow. Uh, You've got to study and you've got to dig and to be a student. I appreciate the message tonight. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and I think it's very important for American Christianity to hear the same things that Jesus told His disciples many years ago. Matthew 16 and verse 24, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I think if there are any two words that believers need to hear tonight, it's these two words, follow Jesus. You know, when it was the middle of March, I had a sneaky suspicion 
that life was going to change. I remember we had just left for spring break with the college ensemble, had dismissed our students from class, and there was a feeling in my stomach after watching the news that I had no idea what the next few weeks would hold. I remember Friday night, I'm with a group of, <coughs> excuse me, 18 young people. We're in a youth rally in Greer, South Carolina. The Lord gave us a great service. Saturday came, we found ourselves in a youth meeting in Bristol, uh, Virginia. And then Sunday morning, all of a sudden, we found that life was turned upside down. Our ensemble is in an empty auditorium on a live stream service and everybody's at home. And then that night we were at a church and the church auditorium was packed, probably 250 people in the service on that Sunday night. And then Monday morning we were in a Christian school and then all of a sudden Christian schools and churches were ghost towns. We were concerned if we were ever going to be able to get our students back home and so we had scheduled a 10-day tour after three days we canceled got our kids back to the campus and to get them back home. And we've all been on a ride ever since. You know, for months, some churches were unable to meet. Preachers had to preach to devices hoping that people would watch it. We've changed up our way of life and so many things. And to compound that, it seems like with everything that we're experiencing on the health end of things, the political realm's just been turned upside down. I remember there were times when I would watch so many coronavirus briefings. It was a daily occurrence. And you know, and I've learned this about the entire thing. There are no experts on the coronavirus. That's not a slap in the face to any of these scientists. I'm just telling you, nobody really knows a lot. And all of us have found ourselves at times sitting there up and down, up and down. We see one thing, we hear another. And you know, there's times where I live that way so much, I was trying to keep on top of everything for the college's benefit, and there just came a point where I had to turn it off. It wasn't because I had a disregard for what science was trying to do. It wasn't because, you know, that I just thought everybody was crazy, although at times I've wondered. But I just had to turn it off. It was frustrating. You know, never in my life, I'm I'm a news junkie, but there's just come times where I've just had to turn it off. I hear all of these voices saying contradictory things. And I believe that Christianity in our churches right now is being tested in a very great fashion. Let me tell you the concern of pastors in these days in, these days in which we live. There's a number of pastors that fear as a result of all that we've experienced Those that were on the fringes, maybe they were just getting in, now all of a sudden they've gotten out. I'm talking about people who maybe they were growing acclimated, maybe beginning coming to services, and now they watch them online. They love the convenience of it, and they thought, why in the world do I need to go to church? 
Now, I'm not saying tonight that everybody that watches online fits in that category. I understand there are people that watch online because of health considerations. I'm not being unreasonable at all, but I think we don't need to be ignorant. There have been people, I believe, that have withdrawn from the fellowship of God's people out of convenience, not because of some legitimate concern. You know, we have been tested in our society as to whether or not church is essential. And I take a particular offense for somebody to say that church is not essential, not just because I'm a preacher, but I believe the Bible talks about the essential nature of the local church. But Christianity is being tested. I believe that people in our churches have a great opportunity to grow. They have a great opportunity to regress. But I want to encourage you tonight, let there be one voice that is louder than the president, that is louder than any doctor, that is louder than any politician. Let there be one voice that is louder than any of their voices and let that voice be the voice of Jesus tonight. I want you to understand that Jesus told His disciples two words, follow me. And ladies and gentlemen, it's of the greatest importance tonight that we get our eyes off of every distraction, off of every calamity, off of the chaos, and hear one voice tonight, Jesus said, follow me. And you know what I believe? I believe if we'll do that, everything will be just fine. But I want to warn you, it's never been easy, and it's never been popular to follow Jesus. I know there are many people that try to make it popular and they try to make it cool, but you can't sprinkle the world into so-called Christianity and expect it to maintain its character. It has never been popular. It has never been a a great fame thing in the eyes of the world to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus told His disciples, Marvel not if the world hates you because it hated me first. But the call that God sends to believers tonight, two words, follow me or follow Jesus. And so tonight I want you to see from our text, the context of it in the text as well. I want you to see how to follow Jesus in these days. Now number one tonight, I want to say this, follow Jesus through political chaos. Follow Jesus tonight through political chaos. You know, if you watch the news enough, you're going to suddenly come to the conclusion if you're not careful, boy, I'll tell you, I just don't know if we can follow Jesus in these days because it's a mess. There are many of us tonight, we might say, I've never seen a mess like what we're living in tonight. And while that may be true in our lifetime, I'll tell you, between reading American history and reading the Bible, you know what I've found? I've found there have been people who've had to follow God through some big messes. I won't bore you with the details, but I read a biography on Andrew Jackson, and I thought, my stars, Washington, D.C. was a circus then, just like it is now. I couldn't believe the things I read a disputed marriage, immorality in the cabinet. I mean, it was just a big gossip fest in Washington, D.C. I thought, boy, if the major media had been in that day, they would have had a heyday. 
But I want to point out to you tonight, do you know that when Jesus told His disciples to follow Me, do you know that Israel was in the midst of political chaos? You know, long before there was a Republican and a Democratic party, there was political chaos. You understand the government in Israel's day, it was not a constitutional republic. The government in Israel's day was Roman rule with a Jewish second tier that sort of acted as the administrator of Roman rule, but it was a Roman empire. It wasn't a matter of a constitution. It was if your last name was Caesar, you're doing pretty good. And during Jesus' day, <coughs> there were all kinds of things that happened in the political theater that really would have caused chaos. For instance, do you remember the death of John the Baptist? Do you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that was not some great legal outgoing. That was just some political play in which it was like, this is how we feel, this is what needs to be done, and do it. And it was unjust. You remember the mistake of Pontius Pilate? Here Pilate is. He is ruling. He is reigning. And yet he makes the greatest mistake because he comes to the conclusion in his mind that he finds no fault in Jesus, but yet he eventually consents to have Jesus crucified. You know what that was, ladies and gentlemen? It was a political sham that was part of the greatest injustice ever known to mankind. And do you know what? It was in the midst of all that mess that was either taking place or soon to take place that Jesus Christ told His disciples, follow Me. And I'll tell you, it's high time for Christianity to say, oh, woe is me, there's no way we can live for God in this day. Look at the political mess that we're in. When you look at the New Testament and you compare it to today, ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason why the people of God can't follow Jesus in 2020. You want to know the political parties in Jesus' day? I'll give you a rundown. There was a group of them called Zealots. The zealots were the revolutionaries. The zealots were the ones who wanted to riot. The zealots were the ones who wanted to do unlawful things to just turn the government upside down. Sound familiar? Then you had the Sadducees. Yes, they were a religious sect, but also they said, you know what, let's compromise with Rome. Let's hold hands with the Roman government. Let's try to get along, milk them for as much as we can. And then you had the hardliners. They were called the Pharisees. Yes, they were religious, but they said no cooperation with Rome. They said, we're not interested in cooperating with Rome. Now, it is very interesting, though, because you do find one instance in the New Testament where the Pharisees mixed with the Herodians. The Pharisees wanted to say no to Rome. The Herodians were the ones that said, hey, we love Rome, and those two linked together. You know why? Because they wanted to kill Jesus. It wasn't because they had common beliefs, it's because they had a common enemy. That's the one time I find the Pharisees betraying their principles. And then you had a group called the Essenes, and the Essenes were like the hippie movement. That was a little bit before my time. I was born in 74, but I've heard a lot about the hippie movement. It's like, let's just go out in the middle of nowhere, live in vans, and be desolate and isolated from everybody else. Well, there was a group like that back in Jesus' day. And you know, in spite of all that political chaos, Jesus still told His disciples, 
follow me. And tonight He says the same to us. How would you like for taxes to be taken today like they were taken back in Jesus' day? You want to talk about a political mess? How about the IRS hiring some of you to take taxes and basically the IRS say, all right, listen, you be sure you get this much, but whatever you get above that, it's yours. That's exactly what Zacchaeus did and every other tax collector did. You say, oh, we live in a day of great injustice. We live in a day of great attack. It's time for you to stop dwelling on that and dwell on two words, follow me. And it was no better in Paul's day. Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian you find recorded in the New Testament, do you understand that he served in the midst of political chaos? It wasn't the Constitution, it was the will of the emperor that was the law. When I became a public official for the first time 15 years ago, when I became mayor of the small town, do you know, ladies and gentlemen, the oath of office that I swore when I became a mayor for the first time, and I do it every two years that I'm elected. But it's in that oath of office. I do not swear to be loyal to a man. I do not swear to be loyal to a party. I do not swear to be loyal to a body of people in government. And that every year that I have to take that oath, I have to swear to defend and uphold the U.S. Constitution. Did you know that every naturalized citizen has to swear to uphold and defend the U.S. Constitution? You know, and it's in our fight right now for religious liberty. I'll tell you, when it's ultimately said and done, hey, my obligation as an American, my obligation as an elected official, it's not to any individual in this room per se, but as an American, that's my obligation. But you know, back in Rome's day, they swore allegiance to Caesar. You swore to do Caesar's bidding. That's the day in which Paul lived. The local law enforcement, Paul discerned this, local law enforcement, they weren't really governed by rules and laws. They were more governed by the crowd. Hey, we don't like what those men did. Arrest them and beat them. And that's what happened. So what am I saying tonight? I'm just saying this. When Jesus commanded His disciples to follow me, When He said, follow me, it was in the midst of political chaos. And Bible Christianity will make it through 2020 and another election if people will just put their eyes on Jesus and say, follow me. But not only should you follow Jesus through political chaos, you ought to follow Jesus while you're in the minority. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that America has become less literate in the Bible. I realize that you could argue and say we live in postmodern America, and by that, I mean people not very familiar with Christianity. It's like you have to start from ground zero and educating them about the things of God. I realize that, but you cannot let those circumstances discourage you from following God. Why? Because the disciples, there were twelve. They were in the minority. Listen, we don't say tonight, well, you know what, I think I'll follow Jesus because everybody else is doing it. 
When Jesus told those disciples, follow me, I'll tell you what, those boys were in the vast minority. You didn't find people swarming Jesus left and right because they believed Him to be the Messiah and eventually those disciples, almost all of them, would die a cruel death of martyrdom. Folks, I'm saying tonight, we just can't look around and say, well, the numbers aren't what they used to be, so maybe we shouldn't follow Him. That has never been the essence of Christianity. When Jesus said, follow me, He did it in the face of great opposition. When He said, follow me to the disciples, they were in the great minority. Truth be told, you know what? The odds have always been against Christianity or got people following God. That's true tonight because of Noah. An entire world is mocking God and yet one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He may have been in the vast minority, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't long before he was the majority. When the judgment of God fell and everybody that was destroyed outside of that ark, I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, at that point, When it was too late, the world recognized that they had made a great mistake and that they had mocked the judgment of God. If you're here tonight and you say, I just don't think I can serve the Lord because I'm in a minority, read your Bible. You know, Gideon was in a minority, wasn't he? Gideon, you're going out to battle. How many are you fighting? 100,000 strong. How many men you got? 300. You got nuclear weapons? Machine guns? Bazookas? Mm-mm. No, we just got some pots and lamps. The world looked at a man like Gideon and said, listen, you're a fool. And I'm going to tell you tonight, the world looks at folks like they're here at the Central Baptist Church and the world wants to intimidate you and say, you are in the minority. Be reminded the disciples weren't in the majority either. And yet they stepped out and they followed Jesus and you can too. David was in the minority. Even his own brothers saying, what in the world are you doing? Why don't you go back home and scram and mind your own business? Daniel found himself in a minority, exiled from home, pleading for his own convictions. The three Hebrew children found themselves in the vast minority. What am I saying tonight? Don't you dare believe the lie of the devil and think you can't stand in 2020. Christianity has always seemingly been in an uphill battle, but ladies and gentlemen, Jesus told His disciples, follow me, even when they were in the minority. And He says the same to us tonight. If I could say it this way, just remember this. It's not how many are on your side. It's who is on your side. We have got to stop thinking purely in numbers. So I say tonight, follow Jesus in the midst of political chaos. I say tonight, follow Jesus while you're in the minority. I say tonight, follow Jesus even when it hurts. 
I draw this directly from our text in verse number 24. Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, here it is, let him deny himself. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot be a follower of Jesus without learning to say no to some things in your life. My daughter Karis, when she was just a little tight, her two older brothers took it upon themselves to teach her a word. I remember those boys had her sitting on the staircase, and you know how we are, even we adults, when we talk to children and we talk to babies, we act like fools, don't we? We gaggle and say words that we don't even understand, but we think we're trying to make sense to those little grandbabies or those little babies. I still remember they got down on their hands like this and they said, Karis, Karis, say no. And I'm telling you, for several days she just looked at it. And they worked hard at it. Karis, say no. Well, I'm going to tell you what, the day finally came, that gal learned it. I still remember the moment that she said it. For the first time, she said no. And both of those boys stood up straight with jubilation and clapped their hands and said, Yay! And then for the next week, that was Karis's word. <clears throat> first, she didn't know what it meant. Karis, how are you today? No. Karis, what color is the sky? No. Karis, are you beautiful? No. It was every question you asked. No, no, no. But I'm going to tell you, there came a point where that old gal discovered what it meant when you asked something like this, Honey, pick that up in your room. No. And then I wanted to skin my boys for teaching her a word that she was going to learn anyway. You know what? There are times in our lives... When we say the word no, it has usually a negative connotation. But can I tell you, there are times we as the children of God have to learn to say no to ourselves if we're going to follow Him. There's times, there's things that you want. There's directions that you want to go. But God says, no, you've got to deny yourself. There's times on a Wednesday night. You might say, it's just been a hard day. We Christians have hard days. Maybe I'll stay home. You know, there's times as a preacher that I've had to deny how I felt. I had to deny myself and I just kept going forward. You know why? I needed to say no to myself. We live in a day of pleasure. We live in a day of convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to follow Christ, we have to say yes to God and no to self. I want to say, if there's some of you tonight, you say, boy, I sure have found it really great to have online church. You know, we were watching services all the time. And, you know, there's just sometimes, you know, that <coughs> I just want to worship in the, in the living room instead of being in the house of God. Now again... 
I'm not throwing shade on anybody. That ha- Listen, there's people I'm sure that are watching tonight that have every reason not to be here. There's medical considerations and such. I'm just talking about those of us that are prone to convenience. Listen to me. There comes times when we follow Jesus, we have to say no to self and yes to Him. I have to deny my physical desires and pleasures. Young people that are here tonight to follow Jesus, sometimes you have to say no to your own dreams and your own ambitions. It may be that God wants you on a mission field rather than a six-figure salary. It may be, young man, that God wants you to preach in a pulpit and you have to say no to what you want and yes to what God wants. But Jesus said, listen, follow me. You have to deny yourself when it hurts. Follow Jesus. But the last thing that I want to tell you tonight is not only follow Jesus through political chaos, not only follow Jesus while you're in the minority, not only follow Jesus when it hurts, but last of all, Follow Jesus even if it means losing your own identity. You say, where in the world do you get that? (coughs) When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You ever heard of identity theft? <clears throat> that's a bad thing when somebody steals your identity. There's a friend of mine just recently lost her husband this summer, and it was just a few days after she had lost her husband that somebody stole her identity, took out a $13,000 line of credit, and tried to run her into the ground. I thought, what a low life. It's bad enough to steal somebody's identity, but it's really horrible to take advantage of them in a time of grief. I thought, I hope they shoot that person. You say, did you really think that? Well, I'll tell you, I thought it. And even if they don't shoot him, if they just put him in jail for a good long time, I think he deserves it. But tonight I'm not talking about losing your identity at the hands of somebody else. I'm talking about giving up your identity. Instead of people seeing you, they see Jesus. That's taking up your cross. John the Baptist said it this way in John 3 and verse 30. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's taking up your cross. (coughs) Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do you know what this world needs to see in 2020? They don't need to see you. They don't need to see me. I'll tell you what they need to see. The cross. That is what they need to see. If a person's in this church and you think you're indispensable and the church is going to hurt without you, I'm going to tell you what, the church doesn't need you, the church doesn't need me. Ultimately, I'll tell you what, God 
is the one to be seen. And Jesus said in verse 30, 25, He said, For whosoever, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. <clears throat> you know, it's amazing to see that in our day and time, even if somebody shows their political affiliation in certain settings, people can be very hostile and nasty. And I'm sure it works both ways. But God help us to be more proud of a political party, if I could say it that way, and be ashamed of the cross. Something's wrong. Are you ashamed to take up the cross? Listen, when you go out there, are you afraid if people say, oh, you go to Cala Christian Academy, you go to that place where those crazy people go and believe the Bible, and you say, boy, that drives me to shame. I want to disassociate from the school, or I want to disassociate from the church. You know, if that's your feelings, listen to me, you're ashamed of Jesus tonight. You know, when I was a kid growing up, My uh, parents waited 11 years after getting married to have me. My dad was 42, my mom was 36. Now to many of us, we say, well, that's not old. But I'm going to tell you what, when you're a kid going to elementary school and people that are your peers come up to you and they see your parents drop you off from school, at school, and they say, did your grandparents drop you off today? That's what I got. I was like, no, that's not my grandparents. That's my parents. And they're like, well, my grandparents look like that. That sort of got to me. And you know what? After a while, whenever my parents dropped me off, when I got out of the car, I was very careful. I just sort of look around, and when nobody else was out, then I'd zoom into the school. I didn't want that embarrassment. When they came to pick me up, I'd just sort of stand by the door waiting for my parents. And somebody say, oh, is that your parents? I'd be like, oh, well, I'm not sure. <clears throat> and then when they turned their heads, I'd make a bolt right out there. I was ashamed of my parents. There's some of you tonight, you look at me, you say, you, you're crazy. You, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. A preacher of the gospel being ashamed of your parents like that. You ought not have been that way. And I would say, you know what? You're exactly right. I shouldn't have been. But give me a break. It happened like 30-some years ago, all right? 35 years ago. I just was a young punk and didn't know any better. And you'd have every right to say, why in the world are you ashamed of your parents after all that they've done to you? They've done for you. They've brought you into this world. And they provided for you. You ought not be ashamed of them. I would say, you're right, I ought not be, but we make a far greater transgression when we as the people of God are ashamed of Jesus. Let me tell you, nobody else has hung on a cross and died for your sins like Jesus. Nobody has loved you unconditionally like Jesus. And yet we deny Him. Yet we are ashamed of Him. Tonight I want to beg you to do something. That is take up your cross and follow Him. Don't you be ashamed of the one who washed away your sins. I want you to leave this room tonight persuaded of this in your heart. 
In 2020, with everything that's taken place, listen to me, you can still follow Him. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I was in junior, the junior boys' Sunday school class, and there was a man that was in that class. He never was a teacher, but he was sort of the bouncer. He was the man that sat in that class and made sure that we all behaved. His name was Tom. Now this is 35 years ago, and Tom was old then, and I think he's still alive now, so he's got to be well nigh to 100. <clears throat> and I remember one night Tom was driving a van. The pastor was driving one van. Tom was driving another. They were on a senior citizen's outing, and they were in a different state. This is before GPSs. This is before cell phones, okay? Well, while they're returning, the traffic separates them and Tom gets separated from the pastor. <clears throat> the pastor, really not knowing what else to do, here they are, they're out of state. He just continues. He's fearful that, you know, they're just again going to be in worse shape if he tries to backtrack. And so the pastor continued his route home, and when he arrived at the church with the first van full of senior citizens, he sat there for two hours, and still no Tom. No cell phones, no GPSs. <coughs> Finally, Tom comes rambling in, in a 15-passenger van, in a van full of senior citizens that could have hung him. And while they're getting out, the pastor interrogates Tom and he says, Brother, <clears throat> where have you been? Tom said, Well, while we were driving down the road, we were in a different state. We got separated. He said, I didn't know what to do. But he said, After a little while, I looked up and I saw another vehicle with a North Carolina license plate. And I thought if I'd just follow that, I'd get to where I needed to be. <clears throat> For some of you that need a geography lesson, there's 580 miles between Murphy, North Carolina and Manio, North Carolina from the west to the east. Now there's some of you tonight, you hear that story and you're like, man, that's craziness. You don't just follow somebody just on a whim because you think they might... You better be like, brother, you just don't do that. That was a careless thing to do. And I would say you're right, but ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, you cannot afford to follow anybody else but Jesus. And tonight it's time for us to give up our excuses. We need to quit feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to quit looking at everything that's happening in our world as if Jesus and the disciples have no clue and get with the program and do what Jesus said when He said, Follow me. Will you get your eyes off the circumstances and get your eyes on Him tonight? I promise you it will do you a lot of good. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.